This is Dennis Ramundi. I'm here with my co-host, Phil Goldberg. Our podcast and a YouTube channel, Spirit Matters, found at spiritmatterstalk.com. Uh, open to the public, uh, 260 plus shows in our archives. Uh, we have the great pleasure of having on our show today, Krishna Das. Uh, we will refer to him as KD on the show. Uh, he was uh, studied with uh, Ram Das, traveled with him, uh, was inspired by uh, Ram Das to uh, go in 1970 to India to study with Neem Karoli Baba, uh, the famous guru, and uh, inspired by his teacher to bring Kirtan to the world, which he has done. And I, I just want to say that last night I went on YouTube and I started listening to Kirtans by KD, which I had done before, but I couldn't stop listening. Uh, his rendition of the Maha Mantra was just mind-boggling, and uh, I'll probably be listening to it for the next few nights. So if you haven't heard him, please uh, hear him, go to his concerts, and Phil will be telling you, and we'll be talking about later, uh, a uh, fundraiser he's going to be doing for India sometime soon. So thank you so very much, KD, for taking the time to come on the show with us today. My pleasure. Thanks. Thanks Welcome. for inviting me. Welcome, KD. Um, we're recording this on May 28th, 2021. Uh, and at the moment, uh, India is caught in a terrible crisis with uh, COVID. And we uh, especially wanted you on now because you are part of a benefit uh, that's coming up June 6th called Chant for India. And we want to make people aware of it. Uh, Krishna Das is one of uh, many uh, kirtan artists who will be uh, performing live, of course, online, uh, beginning at uh, 915 Pacific time, 1215 East Coast. And uh, the guests, the guests performing will include uh, a few people we've had on the show before, like Deva Pramal and Niten and Jai Uttal. And it's free and everybody should go and donate generously. You can find uh, Tickets at uh, tickets.brightstarevents.com and look for Chant for India. Uh, KD, thank you so much for being here. You have long connections to India and yeah. uh, no doubt that's why you and the others are doing this. Give us uh, a sense of how you came originally to discover the, the art and science of Kirtan and your uh, connection to India. Well, uh, you know, I met Ramdas in 1960, winter of 68-69. And that's when I started to hear about Maharaji, Neem Karoli Baba. And then after traveling around with Ramdas for about a year and a half, I went to meet the old man in India, so, and he let me stay for two and a half years with him there. Not all the time with him, but he let me stay in India. He kept me there. And while I was there, you know, I really was uh, exposed to the chanting practice, practice of chanting. And uh, it just, it spoke, it really spoke to me. It sang to me, actually. So I just started chanting. And uh, 
when I came back, uh, he sent me back home and then he left his body after that. So it took me a long time, but then I, I, I had to find a, a, a way to really chant, uh, to really access a deeper place in myself. It, it took it from an, more or less an external kind of feeling to a much more internal kind of feeling because I needed to find my guru inside. Uh, he wasn't available outside anymore. So that's, that's a very short little <clears throat> excerpt about from then to now. <laughs> in, that, in that time from then to now, you, you are probably more than any person, certainly in the West, to popularize uh, Kirtan worldwide. I had a question for you. I'm not a musician. Uh, but I love music and I, I, I have great appreciation for people that create music. Uh, before you did Kirtan, you you were a member of a very successful rock group, uh, Blue, Blue Oyster Cult. My son-in-law, who's only 40, is completely familiar with them. So <laughs> they, they stood, withstood the te test of time. Uh, when you I, went let, from... Let me just, since yeah. other people will hear this, let's set the record straight. I was never actually a member of Blue Oyster Cult. Uh. I, I met the boys when they were in high school in Stony Brook. We started playing music together. We formed a little band, and then I quit and ran away. Years later, uh, I was invited back into the band by the manager. But that just happened to be on the very night that I was on my way to, meet, to, to live up in New Hampshire with Ramdas for the first time. So there was no question of going back to the band at that point. So. A decision you are very glad you made, I'm sure. Now, here's my question, though. You, you did have experience singing at all. When you sing, you have a certain internal experience. When you sing for a crowd, I'm told uh, there, there's a certain uh, experience people have that, that they really enjoy. When you first sang Kirtan, what was that experience like? And how did it maybe differ from doing other types of music? Well, Kirtan is a spiritual practice. It's not a performance, mm -hmm. very simply. You're not doing it for other people. Mm -hmm. You're not doing it to get other people off. You're not, mm -hmm. you're not thinking about what other people are feeling or not feeling. You're, you're doing your practice. Mm -hmm. It involves other people because they're doing their practice, which is to respond to the, to the line that you give them. Then they respond back and forth, back and forth. So technically or theoretically i am the leader in that particular little practice and other people respond but it it's an internal practice the awareness stays inside you you're trying to be aware to pay attention to to move more deeply into your own heart in no way is a performance and and uh, if you're doing it as a performance then you're not getting any benefit uh mm -hmm. spiritually for yourself or others because you're then it just becomes an external musical experience now music is not enough by itself if music was enough every musician would be happy mm. or every musician would know their god right. even right but that doesn't seem to be the case right does it so the music is like a syrup that the medicine of the name is hidden within that syrup like and that. we the sweetness of the syrup allows you to take the medicine but it's the medicine that cures you not the syrup so it's a very different situation 
Although reality-wise, you have one has to deal with those issues because everybody has those desires to be famous, to be known, to be loved, and all that stuff comes up. The difference is that because this is a spiritual practice, those simply become something to let go of in the moment. Mm-hmm. You don't reinforce them. They don't. They arise mm-hmm. a sense from your own. Uh, tendencies of the way you think, what they call vasanas of the mind. But you let them go because that's not why you're there. That said, KD, um, is there a difference in in the inner experience of your practice when you chant by yourself and when you have a crowd? Uh, And and given that, what has it been like uh, through the pandemic? when you didn't have that live audience? Really, I don't think there's a difference. Uh, Because even when I'm in a crowd of people, once I start to sing, once I start to chant and do my practice, so to speak, everything becomes a part of the practice. Whatever arises, there's nothing outside of the practice in those moments whether people are dancing or, or leaving, it's all part of the practice. And so same thing here, you know, it took a little while to get used to the technology and, and the, the digital drum machine, pressing the right buttons at the right time, all that nonsense, you know, but it's just, it's just the practice. And I do miss hearing the responses because <clears throat> one loves to hear the name as well as sing the name, but that's I hear it in my mind, you could say. So it's really not that much difference. Uh, I do miss playing with with my band, so to speak. You know, the guys who are the, the people I always play with. Uh, but that's secondary. You know, once you sit down to start your practice, that's what you do. You're doing your practice and whatever that means to each person. Mm-hmm. Katie, uh, let's go back to 1970 when you first went to India. I wish I could. I'd be very <laughs> young then. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't have all this pain. <laughs> <laughs> we 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 are in the same club. Uh, the the uh, uh, you obviously had heard about uh, Neem Karoli Baba from uh, Ramdas yeah. and maybe others, but when you first went there, what was that experience? What was the initial experience of meeting him like? Well, first of all. Going to India, arriving in India was extraordinary experience. Just getting there, I immediately felt totally at home. Mm-hmm. I was so, I was really blown away by that feeling, mm-hmm. and I realized that I had never had that feeling anywhere. Even in the house I grew up in, I never felt this feeling of being home like that. And then going up to the mountains it even became stronger and going to meet maharaji funny thing it was a little it was a little confusing at first because ever since i met i had met ramdas i've been feeling maharaji everywhere all the time he was like the space that i lived in you know and then when i walked into the room where he was sitting it was like, wait a minute, how does all that fit inside that blanket? You know, I was like, wait, how does this work? Mm-hmm. My mind just couldn't couldn't connect the dots in a way, but I got over it really quick. 
And that was, uh, yeah. He uh, talks about when he first met uh, Maharaji and it was expected that you would prostrate yourself by the guru and touch his feet. Yeah. Now he, he, no, he, he was <laughs> as, you know, cognitive yeah. psychologist who wasn't about to do that. How did right. you respond to the customs around the guru at that time? No problem. I was totally into it. Uh. <laughs> no problem at all. Ramdas is coming from a very different uh, world than we than we were than coming. We were we were all younger than him. We didn't even have lives at the time. We hadn't done anything. Mm -hmm. We just graduated high school, started traveling around the states, blah blah blah. We didn't have jobs. We didn't have careers. He had a whole life that he was carrying with him. That in a sense, Maharaji had to uh, wash away. Mm -hmm. You know, open him up from that. We also had to be opened up, but we didn't have those issues because we didn't identify ourselves with our jobs or our careers or our training or our with knowledge or anything like that. We would just, in a sense, we were hippies, you know, what people would call hippies. We didn't have lives. We hadn't done anything. <laughs> it was a really interesting moment. Cause I, I thought I was going to stay in India for the rest of my life. Yeah. I gave everything away. I sold everything I had to sell. I was never coming back. I, I wanted to ask, uh, we had Larry Brilliant on the show. Uh, he the was greatest, a yeah. great guy. He went, he went to, same thing. He went, he was young, he was a doctor, and he, he had no plans on going anywhere. And then uh, Neem Karoli Baba, the guru, uh, told him to go out and be part of the uh, eradication of smallpox, which I don't yeah. think he was expecting to do. In your case, what, was, yeah. it, was it your guru that encouraged you, was it Neem Karoli Baba, to do kirtan? We, you, 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 did he change your thinking about just staying there and then going out? Were you fulfilling what he was, uh, your, his direction? No, absolutely not. Absolutely, it was exactly the opposite. Mm -hmm. We started singing to Maharaji because he liked it. Mm -hmm. And it was also our way of buying time with him, you know, because mm -hmm. really we didn't, he didn't let people sit around very much. He would send people away. Mm -hmm. So he would little, he would see our little group of Westerners, you know, for a while, and then he'd send us to the back of the temple for, for the whole day. And then when the bus came to take us back to town, we would see him for a couple of minutes, and then he would send us away. So this was our way of like, you know, grabbing more time with him. Mm -hmm. um, he never told me what to do that way, like that. He never gave me those kind of instructions. He made me find out for myself what I wanted. In fact, the last, my, my last instruction from him when he was sending me back to America after two and a half years, I said, what should I do? You know, I, what do I do in America? I've been in India for two and a half years, you know, <laughs> walking around barefoot in a red dress. What, I, you know, what do I do? Yeah. He just said, you know, do what you want. Who? ever tells you to do what you want not your mother that's for sure so that was big time for me that really still that's my overriding uh logic for life 
this is how I found myself in my way into chanting and then into chanting with people. I had to do what I wanted, what I needed to do. I had to find out what that was. Nobody was going to tell me. Nobody, I didn't trust anybody to tell me. And he never did. He, and if he had told me, it would be very different. Then I'd be doing it because he said to do it, mm-hmm. which would be okay. <laughs> I'm, I don't know how that would have been long term other than because I was such a rebellious person, I, I might not have ever come to terms with it. But because I had to find out what worked for me, that put the responsibility on me, even to this moment, this this moment. I I have to listen to my own heart. And that was very hard, is very hard sometimes to what to do. Yeah. Back in the day, that's what we all wanted was to just do what we want. But then when it came to figuring out what that is, that, that became that was a, a rather different thing. And in yeah. those days, <clears throat> with respect to kirtan, the only kirtan that most of us were exposed to were the, the Hare Krishna people. And that was a very different kind of thing. It was very um, limited to that lineage. Um, so when you- I hadn't, I hadn't heard that much of that. You know, I remember seeing them chant uh-huh. in, in New York City on the corner once, but that was the only- ah. mm-hmm. Because it was, I don't know when they started doing that, but, you know, I was, I went to India in, in August 1970. So I don't know how much they were doing at that point. Um, but I did hear them sing once in New York City. I heard that chanting. It didn't move me at the time. Uh, so. But when you, you came back from India, eventually you started doing kirtan in public. Um, and at, at the time, it, none of us had really been exposed to it very much, except if you went to yeah. Tompkins Square Park when, when the Christians were there. And yeah. Um, yeah. now, obviously, you didn't set out to make a career of being I'm, a kirtan. Yeah. It wasn't on the list of like, you know, ways to earn a living. So yeah. how much did it? surprise you that you know the way things have evolved over the last few decades uh it surprises me every day you know (laughs) i i started singing to save my ass you know i had to i was i didn't start singing with people for 21 years after Mm -hmm. maharaji died and those 21 years were very difficult for me very difficult time a lot of because when he left the body, I felt completely lost and I felt like I would never, ever feel good again in a real deep way, the way I felt when I was with him. And so it took a long, long, long time of, and a lot of unhappiness to get to the point where I recognized that I had to sing with people. In fact, I had an epiphany in my room in New York where I knew all of a sudden that I had to sing with people. That was the only way I had that was going to uh, free me from the dark shadows and the dark corners in my own heart. And if I didn't do it, it wasn't going to happen. So it took a while to get with the program, but then I finally, you know, I, I had to start because I wanted to be free of the suffering, but it, it took a certain amount of suffering 
to uh, force me to start singing. I'm curious, Katie, uh, when you're alone, when you're traveling or you're home or during a pandemic, when you, there is an audience, it's just you, it's the same chanting. Uh, does uh, the uh, kirtan, does the chanting ever take the form of just not verbalizing it, but just uh, letting that go on inside? Mostly, yeah. Mostly when I'm alone, uh, I don't sing so much out loud, although I really, I've been singing more, but it's more quieter, you know, japa, more repetition mm -hmm. like that, quiet, quiet. But I do sing, um, and I should sing more, actually, because it's there's something about that for me, singing out loud, that helps me overcome the nonsense in my head, you know, the ongoing mm -hmm. bullshit in the head. So there's a difference between internal uh, use of the same sound and the externalization of it, it sounds like, in, in the experience. For me, it is, yeah. Yeah. Can well, but mostly because I think I pay better attention if I can hear hmm. out loud. I don't know why. I don't know what that is. Talk to us a bit about, uh, I want to come back to, you, you used syrup as a, in a metaphorical sense before. Could you speak to that a little bit more for our, our uh, viewers? What, what is the syrup in Kirtan? And uh, what is the significance of the, the, the particular sounds that are used? Well, let, let's get that clear. The syrup is the music. It's the name that we're chanting, the names that we're chanting, which is the medicine. So the syrup is the music which uh, helps us pay attention and gives us a way of bringing out that sound which we can hear and share with other people. But it's the name, it's those mantras that actually plant the seeds that will destroy our suffering and our unhappiness and our sense of separation from other people, our greed, our shame, our fear, our selfishness, this is what the name will free us from, but you have to do it. So one of the ways of doing it is, is to chant and to sing. And so, you know, these mantras, what they call the, the, the sacred name or the names of God, have, are, are very powerful mantras. Um, they come with a potentiality, uh, just like a seed, a little tiny seed can have a whole oak tree in it, right? A huge tree. So do these little repetitions of these names. They carry tremendous uh, energy and potential. And we plant those seeds by repeating, by paying attention to the name, by repeating the names. We plant those seeds in our life stream, in our mind stream, in our hearts. And, and they will grow and give us uh, ultimately bring us back to who we really are. Because these names, even though we, on one level, they're, they're the, the names of the so-called Hindu deities or this and that, those, we don't even know, what does that mean? <laughs> we don't know what that means. These are words we use, we don't know what they mean. What they really mean is your own true nature, ultimately, who you really are, your soul, so to speak, which is a part of the great soul not different, not separate. So 
these are the names of that place inside of us. Can I follow up, Dennis, with that? Oh, go. Um, somebody looking in from the outside would say, yeah, but, you know, Hindus associate these particular mantras with particular deities that are depicted in forms and have legends behind them and attributes and stories. So some are Hanuman and some are Durga and some are, you know, Lakshmi and some are Krishna and all that. How do you explain that to people? Nothing to explain. Nothing to explain. Uh, if someone says that to me, I would say, well, fine. Uh, find out who you are first. This is a way of finding that out because when you chant, the, what you do is every time you notice that you've been lost in thought, you simply come back to the chant. There's no question of believing anything, having kind of blind faith in anything, conceptualizing anything, understanding anything. You just come back to the chant. And you first you, you, you'll be sitting down with a thousand people and you're singing and then the next thing you know, you've been gone for like a half an hour thinking about what you can do the next day, you're leaving on a vacation, where you're gonna go, blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden, oh, you come back to the chant. That has nothing to do with anybody, any Hindu deity up in the sky or anywhere else. It has to do with you being able to pay attention and recognize what it means to be present. That's it. And all those thoughts about what you just said about these are the Hindu deities, blah, blah, blah. That's a thought. Let it go and come back to the sound of the name. Period. You don't have to do anything else. And if you can do that, then you're really in good shape because it's very hard to do. <laughs> Katie, I'm curious, is there one uh, mantra, one, one uh, kirtan that, not, not your favorite, but one that you most naturally uh, uh, are drawn to or, or comes to you uh, in the most fundamental way? Like you're there, you're, is there one that uh, is, is always, uh, not always there, but that, that comes to you most naturally? Or that you have the most affinity toward? Not really, because mm -hmm. to me, they all feel the same. Mm -hmm. They feel like presence, mm -hmm. like, like being, like here-ness, like vast space, like being, you know? They all, uh, they all feel to me like my guru, to put it simply. Mm -hmm because that's what he feels like to me mostly these days, this vast presence in which I live. And so through the chanting, it brings me back to that, hopefully deeper and deeper as time goes on. So it really, it's kind of like he used to say, all one, you know, he used to say that all the time, all one. And that's kind of what it is for me. It's not about, I just don't experience it that way. Other people do, maybe, you know, they have ideas about things and they've read about this and that and the goddess feels like this and Raman feels like this and Shiva feels like that. I'm too dull and too, uh, mm -hmm. too slow-witted to uh, get into that stuff. I just sing and that's all I care about. Nice. I don't want to understand anything. I want to feel that love that lives within me. If I could follow up, certainly you must have noticed, and it must bring you some joy over the years. There, people come to one of your kirtans, 
and and come up to you afterwards and you know it's not an ego thing but just saying hey you you opened up something to me that wasn't that was always there that i feel i can connect to how do i keep getting there do i do i do kirtan do i listen to more kirtan what do you advise them at that point you listen to your heart about what 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 it is you feel you you mm-hmm. you could do to help yourself mm-hmm. whether it means listening to my cds or mm-hmm. listen to someone else's CDs, or you know whatever you—it's up to you. Uh, people come and Maharaji touches them, and then they have to find their own way back into that to feel that you know. Uh, you and you know it's funny. Once I was on my way to, I was into I was interviewed by a, the Montreal newspaper. And I just said, you know, I'm like a, I'm like a spiritual slut, you know. I'll take it anywhere I can get it. I don't care. <laughs> well, you know, so on the front page of the paper, <laughs> slut comes to Montreal. I can't believe it. <laughs> but it's like it's like that, you know. I I just want to feel that, and whatever, mm-hmm. that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking to try to find a way to live in that love all the time. I think, and you- it's not easy. You missed the branding opportunity there. In case. <laughs> I, I don't think people are rushing after using that. To tell you the truth. <laughs> um, how much attention do you uh, pay to um, precise pronunciation of the mantras and uh, the, the use of traditional uh, musical forms and as opposed to inventing uh, or improvising musically how much how much does that uh, what what some people have told me is a kind of ongoing tension between tradition and you know adaptation to our own styles of things how much does that enter into your 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 thought and about zero <laughs> maybe less <laughs> you would say that that's what I was hoping you would say. <laughs> you know, when I first started singing with people, I start, I would sing the chants that I had been singing in India because that's what I knew. But as time went on and the, the feelings were deepening, so did the music change to be a more kind of uh natural to what me growing up on long island was like you know and in fact walter becker from steely dan who was a friend of mine mm-hmm. one of the first times he came to hear me sing he said you know we said we should do a garage band record of this stuff because that's what you're hearing he said to me and he was right you know i hear i hear it like you know three three or four chord rock and roll in my head that's what it's musically that's what it's like for me so uh, it it just naturally took that shape, you know. And it, it, there's really no plan here, you know. I I appreciate people, you know, trying to give me credit for things, but in all honesty, you know, it's it's very difficult to accept accept that because there's there's been no plan. I started singing to save my ass, and I was up to here on the water, right, like this. And if I sang, I stayed right here. I could breathe. If I don't sing, I go under. 
Mm-hmm. So I have to sing to stay right here. That's it. What's everything comes from that. Everything comes from that. There's no, you know, and I had some issues when I first started to sing with people. I noticed, you know, I had some, some real crises and I actually quit singing with people after about, uh, maybe about four or five, six months. I quit singing with people and I went to India and I was talking to Maharaji, you know, in my mind. He's already been dead, you know, 25, 30 years. I said, I can't do this. I'm not pure enough. I'm going to use all this to satisfy all those hungry desires. And I'm going to hurt other people. I'm going to hurt myself. No, I'm not doing it. You have to fix this. You fix it. I sing. You don't fix it. I don't sing. That's it. Good night. And about three months went by. I was in India three months and nothing happened. Finally, the last couple of days before I had to return to the States, he fixed it. He changed everything for me. And that's why I'm here. And that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. And that's why I can do what I'm doing. Because he, he, he saved me. And that whole story is in my book, Chance of a Lifetime, I was <laughs> if you want to read it. I just did an audio book of it, too, so it's also on audio, Audible. The cleverly but, titled memoir, Chance of a yeah. Lifetime. MC Yogi gave me that name. Did he? Yeah, he's the great. We interviewed him. Did we interviewed him. Yeah, he's a great, yeah. great guy. Very bright. Great. Very bright. Well, one last question from me, uh, KD. Musical. And, 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 and that is um, the people that do come uh, to your uh, performances, your concerts, or to hear. Better way to put it is to sit there while you're chanting. Uh, do those uh, uh, have the audiences changed much over the years? Uh, the type of people that come, the responses, that sort of thing. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I start singing, I, my eyes close, and then they open, and it's over. And over. You know, I don't know. Well, I've noticed I've noticed a lot of Indian people come over mm-hmm. more in the last few years, you know. Actually when when I was nominated for the Grammy, mm-hmm. that the one place in the world where that really uh had an made an impression was in India. Right. That somebody who chants Kirtan could be re- nominated for a Grammy, you know, that what? This is who is this guy? So it made a, that was very, uh, that had a big effect on people in India. Yeah. Other than that, there wasn't, you know, so I think that's when the Indian people started to come more, when they heard about me more. Well, speaking of India, uh, before we wrap up, let us uh, once again say that on June 6th, 2021, 2021, right. Those of you who are, Tuning into this in our archives in future years, you missed out on this, but maybe <laughs> available on YouTube. But there's a benefit concert for India. All the money is going to be channeled, all the donations, because the event itself is free, but you have to register at uh, Bright Star Events. Chant for India. 
on June 6th, 12.15 p.m. Eastern time, 9.15 a.m. Pacific time, but it's all over the world. So if you're in uh, Europe, it'll be something like 5.15. And it's uh, four or five hours of very well-known and highly talented kirtan artists. You'll be asked to donate, and I hope you will all donate uh, generously because India needs help. And, right. and we'll have all of this information posted up uh, so you can uh, 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 get that. And I know what I'm going to do in a couple of hours, and that's listen to some more kirtans by KD. I, I have to, I'm, I'm not making this up. I started listening last night, and I, I, I stopped doing everything else. It really takes you to a different place. And yeah, it, it's, I'm listening to somebody going through a procedure to bring themselves inward. And in doing that, I'm going inward. And it's, uh, it's very powerful. It's a tremendous mood elevator. Uh, and, and but more than that, you're going to that uh, that very special unbounded place. Thank you. So. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Thanks, KD. Any last words for our Ram Ram? <laughs> All the best, everybody. All the best. Everybody, everybody be happy um, and healthy. And, then, and uh, there's a ton of Krishna Das on YouTube, and of course, his albums are available. His memoir chance of a lifetime should be read and uh this uh concert on june 6th uh please tune in and be generous to india in its hour of need thanks kd thank you okay thank you yeah